If you have your Bibles this morning, I would invite you to go with us to Luke chapter number 14 this morning. Luke chapter number 14. Luke chapter 14, and I'll start in verse number 1, and uh, we'll go till the Lord stops us. If you will, stand with us this morning for the reading and reverence of the Word of God. Luke chapter number 14, in verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. Drop down to verse number seven, please. Actually, let's back up to verse number five. The Bible says, and answered them saying, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit uh, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. Verse number seven, and he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out of the chief rooms saying, uh, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee, uh, and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin uh, with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, and uh, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humble himself shall be exalted. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor and maimed, the lame and blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Verse number 16 says, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled, for I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. You can be seated. Brother Marvin, if you will, take us to the throne of grace this morning and ask the blessing uh, on the message, please. Open our hearts and our ears, dear Heavenly Father, that we 
and do with it, dear Heavenly Father, what you would have us do with it. Not just let it fall on deaf ears. Yes, God. Soften our hearts. Yes, Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, for the lost. There's so many people that's on the highways and byways, dear Heavenly Father. Yes, Lord. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, to be servants for you. Give our pastor the words and open his heart, dear Heavenly Father, so he can be an open vessel to just say what you want him to say. And all this, we give you praise and honor and glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Appreciate that this morning. As we consider uh, Luke chapter number 14, we did read a whole lot of verses, and there's a whole lot going on here between verse number 1 uh, and verse number 24, no doubt. But it's interesting to me that uh, contextually we see something here in the first few verses of uh, Luke chapter number 14 that I think we need to mention before we get into uh, the meat of the message this morning. First and foremost, verse number one says, And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. Now you know everyone was always watching that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse two said, Behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. So we find there was a man that had an issue, right? Jesus was always and forever taking people that had issues and fixing their problems, right? And as we've said oftentimes in the day in which uh, we are seeing these verses come to pass, Jesus uh, was always pointing to the deity uh, of himself, right? And the things that he was doing. He was indeed God robed in flesh, amen? And so the Bible says here in uh, verse number Three, and Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? So he's aware that he's being watched. He's aware that there's a cause in which he is to do what it is that he does. But he knows that when he heals this man that has the dropsy, there's going to become questions. So rather than wait on the questions to come, he gives a question uh, to them. And the Bible says in verse four, and they held their peace and he took him and healed him and let him go and answered them saying, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. Now, when we look contextually at this, the context uh, is the necessity of doing the Lord's work without missing an opportunity. Now, a lot of times when we read these verses of Scripture or have heard of folk preach from these verses of Scripture and even myself having preached uh, on these verses of Scripture, a lot of times we look at this matter of the ox falling into the ditch and we will excuse some things that we do or do not do because of our quote-unquote fallen ox in the ditch. But honestly, if you look at this contextually, contextually what Jesus is saying concerning this fallen ox is do not miss an opportunity to pick the ox up out of the ditch. And he was likening, if you will, the man with a dropsy, a man with a problem to, uh, he, he had an issue and it needed to be fixed and so I fixed the issue. I'm glad the Lord, when we have issues, we can go to him and pray and seek his face and he can help us with our issues. He's never once put his hand out and told me to come back another time or come see me later at a more convenient season, but he stands willing and ready to hear what it is that I have to say, and I thank the Lord for that, right? We have an advocate with the Father through that of the Son, Christ Jesus, and I appreciate that a great deal, but contextually, when we look at the, the ox or the ass having fallen in a ditch, 
Uh, what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here contextually is don't miss an opportunity to help someone in their time of trouble, in their time of need. He wasn't going to wait to a more convenient day or a more convenient season for now was the time that it needed to be handled. Right now is Jesus facing this man with a problem. I'll say this this morning, if you have a problem, if you don't know him in the free pardon of sin, today is the day that you need to get that straightened out. Don't wait till tomorrow. Jesus is emphasizing uh, right here to the Pharisees and to the chief Pharisees that listen, today this needs to be fixed. Today this needs to be handled. If Jesus sees a sense of urgency, Uh, in handling problems as they come up, you too should see a sense of urgency in handling the problems that come up. Now, there's problems you can't fix. Oh, but I know one that can, amen. And I'll say this, you're in the right place this morning to have your problems taken care of. You need to go to the Lord this morning if you have problems or if you're lost and unsaved. But contextually, I like this because the Lord is saying we need not pass an opportunity to do good. Now, I want to say this. And we're going we're gonna to look at this a little bit deeper. But if, if you have an ox, quote unquote, and that ox indeed does fall into a ditch, you do go get that ox out of the ditch. And the Lord is using a worldly principle to make a spiritual application. But the worldly principle is such that if you have an ox or if you have an ass, quote unquote, that falls into the ditch, You understand that the Bible says much labor cometh by the work of the ox, right? And so we're looking at this ox or this ass as something that can labor for a greater cause. And if something like that is to fall into a ditch, you, no matter what the circumstances are, need to go get that out, get that ox or get that ass out of the ditch, right? And so uh, I would say to you this morning that if something like that were to arise in your life or or in your uh, problem like that were to come up, you were to fall ill or, or something like that were to happen, you need to take care of that. But I also want to say this, there's a lot of people today that know that they have an ox or an ass that's consistently falling into the same ditch day in and day out and they're using that fallen ox or that fallen ass for an excuse today, friend, uh, to keep from doing what it is that they ought to be doing. And so it's amazing as we look at this chapter how so many different things are going on in this chapter Yet we find that we get down into uh, verse number 16 and we begin to deal just exactly with this matter of excuses. And so I want to preach for a little while this morning. We're probably not going to shout and have a wonderful time, but the Word of God's good. All Scripture is given of inspiration of God and it's profitable, right? And so we're going to look at what God has to say to us this morning and trust that He can help us, all right? Now the Bible says in Luke chapter number 14 and verse number 16, uh, we're looking at this parable of the Great Supper. And we find here, verse 16, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. Now you do understand that it has been said many times, but the Bible teaches us, Brother Shane, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Paul even likened it when he talked and preached to the church at Corinth when he wrote this epistle to the church at Corinth. He said, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. So he's talking about speaking to this church. He says, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. But he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, 
neither yet now are ye able. So he's talking about the preaching of the word of God being that of food, spiritual food, right? And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so there's nourishment in the word of God. We need the nourishment of the scriptures. But the Bible says, then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. Now I thought about the preaching of the word of God. And if we're going to look at this in light of what Paul has said to the church at Corinth, then you would agree with me that the word of God is bread for the life, right? For the spiritual well-being of you and I. We need that, right? The word of God is something that you and I have to have. Brother Isaac was talking this morning in his devotion out of James chapter number one. And he was talking about a double-minded man being unstable in all of his ways. And the context there is faith. Faith, wavering faith, right? A wavering faith, there's not stability in wavering faith, but faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the Bible tells us that there's some things that we need to understand. Number one, you need the word of God. The word of God will help make you stable. It will stabilize you. You will not be up and down in faith, but you can trust the Lord in all, in all your ways, trust in the Lord, right? Lean not on the own understanding. We understand that we can trust the Lord, but we get that trust through taking in the Holy Scriptures. The Word of God will build our faith, and when we have our faith built, then when trials come and patience is tested, you and I can stay stable in that of the Lord, but we must take it in. But I'm glad the Lord's preparing the table. I'm glad the Lord still calls men to preach the Word of God. I'm glad the Lord still has the word of God ready uh, to be given to his children, to to the sheep, if you will, that they may eat and be nourished. I appreciate that. But the Bible says here, then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. So this supper that was being put together was being put together to nourish many. It was put together. A lot of effort went into putting this meal together. Now certainly uh, all you ladies ought to be able to understand and relate to this when uh, you have a house full of guests that are coming by and and, uh, it kind of gets frantic a little bit. You want to make sure you've got enough food for everybody. A lot of planning goes into it. A lot of details have to be uh, looked into to make sure that there's enough for everybody. Can I say to you in preparation uh, for Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, the Lord is preparing a meal, if you will, for his people uh, and uh, lots of effort is going into making sure uh, that what he wants to give and offer to that of his people is available to them. And so the Bible says, then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden. Can I say there was a time for supper? We don't eat supper all day long every day, Right? And my wife will butt you out of the kitchen and tell you if you eat that, you won't be ready to eat supper after a while. Get out of the kitchen. Wait till supper time, right? There's a time for supper. 
And I want to say this, there's a time that we've set aside as God's people uh, to come into his house and partake of the word of God. And I thank the Lord uh, for that. Now, if you're Brother Shane, you need a snack between uh, service, right? You need a snack between uh, meals, if you will. We need the word of God even when we're not in God's house. But we need the word of God uh, from the pulpit. I appreciate the Lord for offering us the word of God. The Bible says here, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And, and listen to this now, the meal was prepared, the meal was made, provisions were given, effort was put into preparing the meal. The meal was there to be had, thank the Lord. For everyone that was coming or may come or would come, there was plenty for everyone, Right? And so I thank the Lord that he provides not only for us, but for those that may come. Amen. But the Bible says here, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. Now I just looked at a few words by definition, and consent simply means to be of one mind. Now you know we ought to come into God's house in one mind and one accord ready to hear the word of God but we find in this situation when the supper was prepared when the meal was made when provisions were, ha were given uh, the Bible says and they all with one consent began to make excuse. Now that means they were all in one mind and one accord. Now you're going to find as the days progress and as the church gets older and life moves on, this world continues that people are getting less and less concerned about the things of God. And it's almost like instead of having the majority that bonds together in, 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 uh, under the word of God, now it's like you're a minority and, and the majority is just living a lackadaisical life that could take it or leave it or hit it or miss it or when it's available or when it's convenient I'll, I'll get involved or I'll get, I'll have something to do with church or the word of God, but when it's not convenient or when I don't feel like it, well, I just, I just won't have anything to do with it. That's the majority today. It's sad to say, but that's the case. You'll find that it's one excuse is as good as another. But we find it's excuses, 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 right? And consent is to be of one mind. So I want to say this, the meal was prepared for a vast majority, but they all, the Bible said, they all, Everyone, the collective group says, in one mind and one accord, they began to make excuse. Now, what is excuse today? Now, listen to me. Excuse is to pardon. Why would you need to be pardoned? People are needing pardon that's done something wrong. So excuse is to pardon to free from the imputation of fault or blame. To forgive entirely, to overlook. Can I say to you first and foremost, God doesn't overlook. Say, how do you know? Because the Bible said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He, he bankrupt heaven for you and me because he could not overlook sin. Sin was here and we were cursed by sin. We, were a, we, we live in an Adamic world. We live in a sin flesh that was dragging us off to hell. And God said, well, if I would redeem them, I'm gonna have to send my son to do it because God will not overlook sin. See, our excuses wasn't gonna matter against the law, Brother Shane. Now, the law is our schoolmaster. You understand that. And the law showed us what we was. We look at the law and we realize you and I can't meet up to the standards of the law. But he came to fulfill the law. Hallelujah. So the Bible says here, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. Now what I find interesting is, is consent is to be of one mind. But their excuses aren't the same. 
So what does that mean to be of one mind? It just simply meant this. It meant that although their excuses were different, they all had the same thing in mind. Getting out of having to do what it was they needed to do. It was the inconvenience maybe of having to come. Can I say no one considered the inconvenience of the one that had to put the meal together, amen. And as I thought about this, it, I don't know why this come to my mind, but it, 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 it did indeed come to my mind. Last uh, July, I had purposed in my heart that I was gonna go on a diet, Brother Marvin. And I, I mean, I, I, my wife and I got everything planned and ready to go, and we were trying to meal plan and I think we were just trying to get this thing together. You know, we did, I got to hit, I got to get on a diet. Well, my birthday rolled around. And here come little old Miss Barbara up to the front door with a big coconut cake. And being the man of God that I am, I just couldn't hurt her feelings, Brother Marvin. So I'd done what any good man would do. I went in there and cut off the biggest piece of that thing I could get and a big old cup of coffee. And I sat down and I flat foundered myself on coconut cake. Because that's what anybody would do. What I'm getting at is, would Miss Barbara's feelings have been hurt if she'd have gone through that effort of putting her time into making that cake, knowing how much I like them, because I do indeed like them. I love them a great deal. I love them a whole lot more than I should. And my point is this, though. What would it have been like for her to have brought that to me and me not even cared to answer the door? I mean, let alone not eat it, let alone not thank her for it, but I mean just forget it all together and never even make consideration to go to the door and accept what it was that she had give her time to provide and to, and to prepare. Now what I'm saying to you here is we're going to find that in these verses of scripture the Lord is taking something and he's making an application with something that's going on in a real world event right here. And he's taking this matter of an individual who's prepared a great meal for many people but suddenly nobody can come. Suddenly nobody can come and partake. Nobody's considering the effort that has gone into this. And we find here that the Bible says, and they all with one consent began to make excuses. So the Bible, or excuse me, the definition of the word is to free from an obligation or duty. To free from an obligation. I thought about Paul many times when Paul said, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. Paul was bound to do the things that God wanted him to do. He was bound but yet free. Now we preached on that last Sunday morning on what it is to be, uh, to be free but yet be tied down. Paul was free yet Paul was tied to the things of God. Paul was actually free in one sense but bound in another, amen. And Paul saying, I, uh, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for you Gentiles, there was a purpose in this imprisonment, if you will. In other words, he's saying, I'm tied to the things of God. I'm bound hand in hand with that of the Lord Jesus Christ. But to excuse is to free from an obligation or duty. Paul didn't use excuses. Paul went through great trials and, and afflictions for the things of God. And so we consider this matter of, of excuses here. And, and, and when one consent, people began to make excuses. And this is what I find interesting here. The Bible says here, the first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. And I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. So I underline this phrase, I have bought. Let me say this, if what you have done, this is past tense now, something that this individual has done in the past is going to prevent this individual from going to this supper. It says, I have bought. So if you have done 
Uh, if you have done something in the past, it's keeping you uh, from pulling up to the table and partaking of the things that have been prepared. You need to try to do something to get around that. You need to start trying to make preparation to do something else so that you can pull up to the table that's been prepared for you. For without nourishment, you'll die. But, but understand this, that I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. So he says, I have bought, then he says, I must go see. And so why would he have to go see about the ground? Because there's something about that ground that has to be worked for provision, right? And so we're going to have to work the ground. We're going to have to, I'm going to have to go see about this ground that I have bought. There's a lot of people that have done and have bought and, and, and have done something that's preventing them from getting them to pull up to the table when they need to eat. But the Bible says here, I've bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. So it, it, let me say this, is the maintenance uh, of whatever you have keeping you from getting to God's table. Is the maintenance of the things that you have got. See, see, maybe you've been blessed to have some things. So maybe you've been blessed to be, be afforded the opportunity to do some things, to acquire some things. But is the maintenance of those things preventing you from being able to get down to the house of God and partake of the, of the meal that the Lord has prepared for you? So let's look on here. The Bible says, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Then the Bible says, and another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Now what's interesting here is, uh, uh, he says, I have bought. I have bought. Why would he have bought oxen? Five yoke of oxen, what would they be for? For working ground. Now, one man bought some ground and he needed to go see it. So he's got his mind on something other than getting to the table. This man's got some oxen. He said, I have bought. And he's bought these oxen because it's something to work the ground with. And he said, I, I, I got to make sure that these oxen are satisfactory. He said, I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. In other words, I've bought them. Now I need to work them and see if they're going to be all that the guy told me they were going to be when I purchased them. You know, I want to make sure that they're able to do what it is that I bought them for, which is what? To work the ground. For what? For provision. For provision's sake. And he says it's important that they work because if they work, then I get to eat. And so a lot of people have that mindset. You know, I got to work in order to eat. The Bible teaches that. But see, the problem is that the priorities right here, Brother Shane, we have to work to eat. Amen. But you understand that the provision always comes from God, right? So where's our priorities at? We've been preaching on seeking first the kingdom of God, not just seeking first the kingdom of God, but his righteousness, right? And we understand that all these other things shall be added unto you. I believe in working. I believe in giving 110%. I believe in doing those things, but we must have priority. The idea here is we've got to work the ground to have provision. We've got to have ground to have provision, but all the while, they're missing the provision for more provision. There's provision right here. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You can have all the bread and all the meat and all the vegetables you want, but if you don't have God, you don't have anything. So you seek first God and trust that he will give you the rest. Why? Because a double-minded man, Brother Isaac's unstable in all of his ways. And so they're missing a meal here to go, to, to, to go work in order to make a meal. You see how we get crossed up sometimes? So it says here, uh, he's asking to be excused here. Now, when we look at uh, the, the first point, he said, 
Uh, he says, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first of him, I besought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. So I must need. I have some needs. Then this next one here says, I have bought five yokes of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee. So now he's asking to be excused. He's not just the first one stated his case. The second one's asking to be excused, right? And so we see here, it says, I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So now we forgot the oxen altogether. Now we're not talking about land no more. We're just talking about I've married a woman. I married a woman and the spouse that I married, you know, I'm not going to be able to come. There's a lot of people that's, that's got hooked up with some people uh, that don't want them to come. There's a lot of people that won't come because they're connected to somebody that don't want them to come and don't want, to be up to, don't want them to take part, if you will, in the meal that's been prepared. But here's what I want you to see. Excuses, 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 right? One's as good as another. And so what we're finding here is the Bible says, um, he says, uh, and another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So we went from saying I need to be excused or making an excuse and saying I need to go and, and the next one to saying I pray thee let me go. This one saying I can't go because I got somebody that I'm connected to that will not allow me or afford me the opportunity to go. So notice this, the Bible says here, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. The Bible says, then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the street. Say, preacher, it sounds like you're making a, uh, uh, you're, you're plugging at us here uh, to benefit yourself for the, for the preparation of the meals. No, I'm just a servant. Now, you understand here that there's a servant has gone out and has bid and has told and has beckoned, but it's the servant that's been met with all the excuses. But when the servant goes back to the master who prepared the meal, who offered the meal, who made the provisions, then you understand the master gets angry. Now, I want you to notice here, the Bible says, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things, then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. So we see haste now. Why? Because the meal's been prepared. Can I say you say to you, there's haste in getting to the Word of God. Oh yes, see, we're used to the cupboards always being full. We're used to the refrigerator always being full. See, we understand that this meal, this, this food's been preserved, right? The problem is, is time's running out. Time's running out. The, the, the time is of the essence, right? And so we, we expect the meal to always be there, but we forget that time is running out. Okay, and so here's what I would like to say to you. The Bible here says, uh, so that servant came and then showed his Lord these things and the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges. Look around you this morning. You got any room in here at Mount Tabor Baptist Church for some more folk to come up to the table and eat from the good things of God? Oh yeah, we do. And I'll tell you what, when we fill this thing out, the Lord can provide us to knock the end of this wall out over here and keep right on headed towards the fellowship hall if that's what he wants to do. And it's not that there is not enough food. It's not that the provisions are lacking. The problem is folk are not hungry for the word of God anymore. Folk are not hungry. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know why people are not wanting to come down here and eat at the supper that was made for them? Because they're not hungry. They're not hungry. Now, here's what happens. People want to eat what they want to eat, right? 
Uh, and a lot of times is they want the good taste and sweet things and they don't want the things that they need. They'll snarl their nose at certain uh, types of food, but only certain types of food do they eat. And if you fill your belly with Twinkies and ice cream and cake all the time, uh, you're not going to be interested in eating the things that you need that are nutritious and are good for you. All you're going to eat is the things that's rotting your teeth out that you didn't need to begin with anyway. And I like the good things, but I'll tell you there's things that we need as well, right? And so we need those things. And so I find that people only want what they want and what they don't want, they don't want anything to do with it. Suddenly the preacher's being hard-nosed or he don't, he don't love enough or he don't care enough. And I'm gonna tell you something, friend. Everything don't taste good all the time, but everything is good. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. That means all the food is good food. And we need it all to help us today, friend. And so the, the, I find here that people just don't want it because they're not hungry for it. And they're not hungry for it because they're filling themselves up with a shame with all the things that they don't need. And then the things that they do need, there's no room for it anymore. And so they're not hungry. He says here, and the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And here's, here's what I want to say to the church today. Now listen, there's always that crowd that's uninterested. There's always that crowd that don't care. And if we're not careful, I like what one preacher said. He said, you know, he said you can spend so much time trying to knock the horns off the goats that you forget to feed the sheep. And here's what I'm interested in. You can spend all your time trying to get the handful that won't do to do. And uh, you can spend, and listen, the Bible, I believe the Lord sends messages for those. I believe the Lord sends messages to them that are unconcerned. But we were talking last Sunday about how when things get quiet, you need to be aware that the judging hand of God is coming. And I'm just going to give you my heart as the pastor of this local assembly. The Lord's pulling me in a direction right now that's saying, hey, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. I'm not going to spend every day of my life drawing on the few that don't want to do when we can take our collective group that's willing to go do something that is faithful, that wants to work for the Lord and go out into the highways and hedges and compel the maimed and the weak and the, and the sick and the broke, if you will, and get them to the house of God that they might come under the influence of the word of God and see their need for a savior. What happened was the man that prepared the meal did not throw the meal away. He just offered it to those that was hungry for it. I'll tell you what we're going to do here at Mount Tabor Baptist Church. We're going to have a place at the table for those if they want to come. But we're going to go out and offer it to folk that are hungry. And quit trying to feed it to the people that's belly is full of sweet stuff. And they have no room for anything that's good. Because we still got a job to do, and we still got time to do it, and as long as the Lord tarries is coming, we need to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. We need to be mission-minded today. And I don't just mean taking out of your billfold and putting it in the pockets of the missionary. I'm talking about mission-minded that we go out into our highways and our hedges and our byways and our workplaces and our places of business and tell folk about the good things of God. Give them a gospel track. Ask them to come to church. Hey, most people, friends, so backwards and embarrassed, they're not going to say nothing to you anyway. Really and truly, and what's the worst thing that could happen to you? You take a cussing. I've took cussings before, and I believe you could take a few, and it wouldn't hurt you either. 
What I'm saying is they're not going to do nothing to you. But I tell you what, when one comes through the door and they do get born again and they do get saved by the grace of God and then they want to go out and do the same thing, it's worth it, friend. But we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to keep preparing the meal. We're going to have to keep offering the meal. We're going to have to keep setting the table. But for those that don't want to come to the table, we'll leave a place open for you, friend, and you're welcome to come. But we're going to get mission-minded and go out here and try to win souls for the glory and for the honor of God. That's what we need to do. Then the Bible says here, now listen, verse 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, go unto the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. He'd done one out, Brother Shane. He'd already went out and told. He'd already went out and shared. He'd already went out and published that there was a meal prepared. What did the master say? He told the servant to go back out into the highways and hedges and compel them. Just stay out there. Just stay with it. Just keep going. You know, here's the thing. If we can put it on deaf ears inside the house of God, we can put it on deaf ears outside the house of God. Amen. We, if we're going to have to repeat ourselves over and over and over and over and over again to people who don't want to listen, we just as well as repeat ourselves over and over and over again to a different crowd. These people walking up and down the streets every day, odds are you're not going to catch the same guy twice. So let's just share it. Let's just give it. Let's just hand out a track. Let's just do something. And listen, the Bible says in verse 24, for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now, I want to say this to those that, that we preach to, and we preach to, and we preach to, and we beg, and we plead, and we, we cry, and we pray. And then people are unconcerned and don't care. I want to say this. The Bible says, for us in you, that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. They didn't know what they were missing. I'll say to this to people that cannot seem to get it in gear, that cannot seem to care, that cannot seem to see the urgency. You don't know what you're missing today, friend. Now, I don't, I don't mean to sound like a broken record in one sense, and then in another sense, I do mean to. Because I keep feeling the Lord nudge me and draw on me and pull on me in the wee hours of the morning and in the night to keep calling and begging and praying and preaching to people that are not interested in getting headed in the right direction. But it's because you don't know what you're missing today, friend. The Lord's provided some things, and it's good. It's good. Listen, I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. There is provision. But I have tasted and seen, Brother Shane, that the Lord is good. He's good. And I appreciate that. But here's what I want you to see. We find starting out in these four portions of Scripture, this matter of, a, of an ox. And the principle here uh, is that if your ox falls in the ditch... And we know that there's much labor and much increase that comes by the work of the ox. You get that ox out of the ditch. But if the ox continues to fall in the ditch, you do what? You need to get rid of the ox. Say, so, well, how do we know that? We find right here that the ox, this five yoke of oxen, is preventing this one from eating the meal that the master wanted him to be able to eat. Verse 24, none of these men which forbidden shall taste of my supper. They'll go to the field He'll take the five yoke of oxen. The five yoke of oxen will beat him out of enjoying the good things of God. It'll beat him, it'll cause him to keep from enjoying the good things that this, uh, this, this certain man who made this great supper was offering to him. He got that what he wanted. He went out and, and, and headed in the direction he wanted, but it cost him the meal. There's a lot of people that's missing meals today. You're malnourished. You're malnourished in the word of God because you're missing meals. 
Listen to me. There's people in, in the sound of my voice and some that's not even here that'll miss meals on a regular basis and then wonder, what, what, what's the big deal? Ain't no big deal. It's because you're malnourished. You're malnourished. Now, let me explain to you what happens to the ox. Your ox is in a ditch. It's preventing you from getting to where you need to go. So what do we do with the ox? Go to Exodus chapter number 21 with me for just a moment. And while you're turning to Exodus chapter number 21, I want you to find your place in 1 Kings chapter number 19. Hold your place in Exodus 21 and let's look at 1 Kings chapter number 19. Now, this is a very familiar portion of Scripture because we know here that verse number 1 of 1 Kings chapter 19, Ahab has told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Now, we know that the Lord brought fire down from heaven, licked up the water on the altar, right? We, we know that story like the back of our hand. Oh, how the Lord provided that day when Elijah stuck his neck out uh, on a, or stuck himself out on a limb, right? The Lord showed up, and then we find that, that Elijah has killed all the prophets with a sword. And Jezebel sends a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. That poor old woe is me. I mean, we see a warrior here that gets a woe is me. Listen to me. He, he's no different than you and I. And sometimes we get the, the whole poor warrior attitude. You know, we're, we're soldiering one minute. We're enduring the hardness as a good soldier one minute. But then the next minute, things get a little, take a turn for the worse. And suddenly we just wish that we were dead. We just wish that we wasn't even doing this. We just wish that we wasn't even in the fight no more. Hey, there's two sides of this. There's the people that won't come to the table. Then there's the people that's offering something, trying to do something, trying to work. They get discouraged and they get to the point where they want to quit. And what you got, you got quitters on both sides of the aisle. And when you got quitters on both sides of the aisle, the devil jumping up and down, clapping his hands, and he's the only one that had never quit. So here's what, here's what I'm saying to you. The Bible says here, uh, in verse 5, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water uh, at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drank and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar. So their explanations are just coming out left and right as to what's wrong with the situation. You ever do that? You ever do that as you try to serve the Lord? Do you ever do that? And so the Bible says here, and slain the prophets with a sword, and I even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And there's times when we get the I'm the only one that's left attitude too. Lord, I, nobody will listen. Nobody will come to the supper. Nobody will come eat. Nobody's interested. I just, this ain't worth it. I quit. I'm done. I'm the only one left doing anything. Nothing's getting done. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Well, he was in the fire earlier. He was in the fire earlier. Now, how many times in the Word of God is the earthquake because of God? How many times in the Word of God have we seen fire? Then we consider this matter, he says here, and after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was under the fire, and after the fire, still small voice. I'm thankful for the still small voice. I'm thankful that when, and you understand it was the fire that consumed the water on the altar, right? And that fire didn't just do show Elijah. Elijah was already sticking his neck out on a limb, but it was, it was the prophets of Baal that seen the fire. Sometimes the fire's for others. But sometimes when there's no fire for you and for me, there's still a still small voice. And I thank the Lord in the wee hours of the night when I'm concerned or when I've called up under my juniper tree, Brother Marvin, and I'm about ready to quit, there's still that still small voice. There's still that fire that's shut up in my bones that I cannot help but forbear. I must proclaim the word of God. All right, so what, what are you getting at here? He said, and so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what dost thou hear, Elijah? The Bible says, and he said, I've been very jealous. I'm going somewhere. Stick with me here. For the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the Lord, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the uh, wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king of Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshah shall thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat, the the Abimolah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room and it shall come to pass that him that escaped with the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay and him that escaped from the sword Jehu shall Elisha slay yet I have left me 7,000 Israel all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him in other words here's the rest of your instructions you take your pity party in yourself and you go do these instructions and by the way there's 7,000 that haven't bowed a knee to Baal I still got some people that are working. Now, you understand Elijah didn't see the 7,000, right? Notice with me, if you will, how the seven, not seeing the 7,000 had him distressed. He was distraught. But look what the Lord does. The Bible says, so he departed thence. So he takes his directions and he goes. And found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yokes of what? Oxen. Now, isn't it funny how the Lord always finds somebody in the sheepfold or like took Moses and put him in the sheepfold uh, as a shepherd? I mean, and then now we're finding this man's just down here plowing 12 yoke of oxen. And he with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Notice what happens here. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? Now, I want you to notice what's going to happen here. We've, we know Elijah's very familiar character in the Word of God. But Elisha is one of those young men that come along and come up under Elijah and get interested about the th same things that Elijah was interested in. That's what? Serving God. But I want you to notice what he does here. He says, go back again for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and this is what he does when he goes back, Brother Shane. He says, and took a yoke of oxen and slew them. Now what was he doing? He was plowing with these oxen just a little while ago. The man of God has come by. Elisha has a calling on him, if you will. And Elisha goes back, and, and what was he saying to, to Elijah? He said, let me go back to my mother and my father. 
But when he goes back, we don't find anything about his mother and father. We see that he goes to the oxen. What does he do with the oxen? The Bible says that he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Now there's one thing I want you to notice. Not only did he burn or, or, or kill the oxen, but the Bible says boiled their flesh with the what? The instruments of the oxen. The yoke, the lines, the plow, everything that he had that connected to the oxen that he plowed in the ground with, when he returned, he killed the oxen and used the oxen for the betterment of those that were around him to eat. But he burnt the oxen and boiled the oxen by burning, if you will, the instruments that were connected to the oxen. The yokes, the lines, and the plow. In other words, when he left this time to follow Elijah, Elisha had nothing to go back to. Now I want you to know when you decide that you're going to get headed in the direction of the Lord and you're going to do what the Lord wants you to do, you need to be willing and prepared, friend, to cut ties with everything. And some of you this morning might need to burn your reins. Some of you might need to burn your yokes. Some of you might need to burn your, your oxen. Some of you might need to get rid of the plow and find that there's nothing to go back to. He didn't go back, Brother Shane, and put the oxen in the barn. He didn't go back and, and put the yoke and hang it on the wall. He didn't put the plow under the shed just in case he might want to come back sometime in the future and run that thing in the ground. What he said was, is I'm selling out, I'm quitting, and I'm going the way God wants me to go, and I'm not going to give any opportunity to my mind to go back to the things in which I've done in the past. And so he got rid of the oxen, and he got rid of the plow, and he got serious about the things of God. Nothing to return to. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and this don't mean nothing to you, but it means a lot to me. I remember when I burnt my plow. I remember when I got it set up in my mind that there wasn't going to be anything to go back to. And I want you to know something, Brother Shane, when I burnt the plow, and I burnt the reins, and I said, no more oxen. The Lord turned around and done something in my life that I can't explain to you. When I said, Lord, I'm selling out and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to go, I'm going to burn the oxen. I'm going to give the oxen to somebody that can use it. But I'm not going to have it no more. And I'm going I'm to take the plow and I'm going to offer the plow uh, and the reins and the yoke to, to help make this oxen what it needs to be for someone else. But I'm done. I burnt my plow. When I burnt my plow, the Lord done something in me and for my family that I can't explain to you. But I'm telling you right now, I had to burn it. I had to be willing to give it up. I had to be willing to say there's nothing left for me to go back to. And when I done that, friend, my life began to change. And the Lord's waiting on some of you to get rid of your oxen. Because there's some ox that keep falling in the ditch and uh, it's repetitive and it keeps happening over and over again. And because it's falling in the ditch, it's giving you an excuse to be down there in the ditch getting the oxen out instead of being where it is where God wants to feed you. And the meals are still being prepared, but there's not enough people there to eat it. But notice this. <laughs> 
The Bible says, and, return, and he returned from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with instruments of the oxen and gave them to the people. And they did eat. then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Unto who? Elijah. You know that man that, that was down there sticking his neck out for God who was getting discouraged? Who says, Brother Marvin, he says, there's, there's nobody in this for the Lord but me. And the Lord says, oh, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed a knee to Baal. But he couldn't see those 7,000. But the Lord put one little young fella in his life that said, I want to sell out to God. I want to, I want to go the direction that God wants me to go. I'm going to burn my plow. I'm going to throw my, my yoke in the fire. I'm going to burn the reins. And I'm going to follow that man of God. And I'm going to learn what I need to learn. And I'm going to get in there and I'm going to dig. And I'm going to do what God wants me to do. The Bible says that Elisha ministered to Elijah. Now Elijah give that young man some things. We're fixing to find here just a chapter over about the mantle that was passed to Elisha. But there was something in the heart of Elisha that began to work because of this man named Elisha. But I want you to understand for everything that Elijah did for Elisha, look what Elisha done for Elijah. Now I want to say to you, you may be here this morning and you may think, oh, it's just all about you and you don't, you know, this is no big deal. But I want you to understand there's some people that could be encouraged this morning to see you get on board and burn the plow. To see you throw away the reins and burn the yoke and say, I'm going to go with God. For everything that could be offered to you, look what you could offer to some wayward, discouraged one who feels like that, they're, that all they do is they make meals and try to prepare meals, but no one's interested. Listen, Elijah didn't need 7,000. Just one little young one that come along and said, I'm willing to do. You know what I'm looking for? Let me tell you what I'm looking for. I've got realistic expectations this morning. But Shane, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm just sticking feelers out looking for that one. I'm just looking for one today that says, I want what God wants. And I'm going to tell you something. If there's just one that would say, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be what God wants me to be. I'm willing to sell out lock, stock, and barrel and give it all to God. And if I have to get rid of the ox because the ox and the ass keep falling in the ditch, then I'm going to get rid of it today, friend. These people hanging on to the plows this morning. These people hanging on to the reins. These people hanging on to the oxen, friend. And I want you to tell you, it's keeping you from the things of God. But if you'd ever just say, I'm going to sell out. I'm going to get rid of the oxen. I'm going to burn the plow. I'm going to get rid of the lines. I'm going to get rid of the yoke. Friend, God would change something in your life. God would do something different in your life. Now, if you will... Go with me to 2 Kings chapter number 2 for just a moment. And let's look at this, this manifestation of what this relationship between these two men it really is. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 9 says, And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. Before I be taken away from thee, and Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. All he wanted was what he began wanting, Brother Shane, just to have something with God. Something that was real. It didn't get real for him till he burnt the, till he burnt the plow, till he burnt the lines, till he burnt the yoke, till he got rid of the oxen, it didn't get real. It'd get real for some of you this morning if you'd get rid of your oxen and your yokes and your lines and your plow. 
It says, And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me, when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not, it shall not be so. In other words, it won't be easy, but if you stay right beside me to the end, you'll have it. If you'll just stay faithful, if you'll just stick with me, if you'll just stay all the way, if you'll just keep going like you started, friend, it's possible. And I'm gonna say this, Brother Marvin, it looked like there wasn't nobody that was interested in going with God. This one young man shows up in Elijah's life, and what does this one young man want? He wants what Elijah's got. And Elijah counsels him to, to stay right there with him. The Bible said it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried my father, my father the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof and he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. Now it says and Elisha saw it. I want you to take notice of that phrase. Elisha saw it. Elijah was looking at a generation, uh, Brother Shane, that he felt like no one was interested in doing right. I'm looking at that generation today. People in the house of God's not interested in getting sold out. They're not interested in burning the plows. They always got something on standby to go back to. But right here we see, and Elisha saw it and he cried. I want to say this, if your generation is going to get anything from God, they're going to need to see it in you. Elisha seen some things in Elijah. The Bible says here, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took. I want, I want, to, I want, to, I want to ask you something. You got anything that anybody wants to take? Elijah had something that Elisha wanted. Because there was something real in Elijah. Elisha seen it because Elijah exemplified it. God used Elijah. Understand that Elijah, there was no fire. It was a still small voice, right? But the fire comes in the whirlwind. All the things that wasn't present back there when Elijah was, was whining and crying shows up through his life for someone else. There's times and dry times in your life when all you got is a still small voice, but if you'll stick with it, friend, you can exemplify the whirlwind. You can exemplify the fire. You can help somebody else become, friend, what it seems like nobody else wants to be. Say, oh, it was just one, but look what this just one done. I'm just looking for one today. Would you be that one? Would you be the one this morning that says, I'm willing and I'm ready, God, to burn the plow, to, to, to offer the oxen. I'm ready, I'm done, I, I quit. I'm, I'm sailing out to you, Lord. The Bible says, and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. <laughs> and Elijah went over. You know what happened? The God of Elijah turns out to be the God of Elisha. There's a God of Aaron because I've seen God do some things in my life, Brother Marvin. There's a God of Aaron. I've seen the Lord do things that you couldn't help me with, Brother Shane. But when I'm gone, I want it to be said that the God of Aaron 
is also the God of Shane. The God of Aaron is the God of Donnie. The God of Aaron is the God of Marvin. The same God that done for Elijah was the same God that was doing for Elisha. That's how real it is. But it come through the example and the help of a man that did get cold, or did get, did, did get uh, discouraged, I mean. This relationship was a twofold relationship. Listen, God's wanting to do something for you today, friend. God's wanting you to sell out, but I'm going to tell you something. God would do something for others through you if you would sell out. You don't know the encouragement you'd be to people today, friend, if you'd just get right with God and just sell out and get serious and burn the plow. But listen, it says, And when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. Notice that they was believers in Elisha because now Elisha is exemplifying things in his life due to the power of God. That's the reality of this today, friend. If this is not real to you, say, none of this is making sense to me. I just can't relate to it. You know why you can't relate to it? Because you're spiritually malnourished. You're as babes which desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You're not growing. It don't make sense to you because you're malnourished. I'm telling you, there's a reality in this today. The God of our forefathers that fought tooth and nail to have what we have today, friend, didn't do it so you and I can coast right on out of this thing and let this thing go to hell in a handbasket today, friend. But it's our turn to take up the mantle. It's our turn to pick it up because the God that's, that was the God of Elijah is still present, but the Elijahs are gone today. You may not be an Elijah, but you can be an Elisha. And I want you to understand something here. The Bible says here in verse 9, it came to pass when they were going over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. He said, I want not just what you got, but I want twice as much as you got. Instead of being in a generation today, Brother Shane, where everybody's just half of what they used to be. Maybe not even that, Brother Marvin. I mean, we're such in a moral degradation that, that it's dwindling down to nothing today. People, listen, we're begging folk just to get in church. We're begging folk just to get to the table to eat, let alone a double portion. But Elisha's saying, I want a double portion. Guess what happened? He got that thing. You know what we need today? There's still 7,000 that haven't bowed a knee to bail, quote, unquote. But let me say to you this, you don't see them, do you? You see 7,000, you go round me up 7,000, we'll have a meeting tonight. You ain't seeing them. Oh, God knows where they're at, thank the Lord for that. But if we could just get one, we could just get one today to burn the plow, to, to, to offer the oxen, say, I'm tired of my ox keeping me in a ditch. See, the ox that's in the ditch has got you in the ditch too, you know that, right? How you get an ox out of a ditch? <laughs> You know how you get an ox out of a ditch? You've got to get down there with him. You wind up just as messy and full of manure and mud and water as the ox does. Listen to me. You know what an ox does when he gets stuck? Now, listen, I ain't being crude. And I don't even want you to laugh at this because then I ain't, I ain't joking. You know what a cow or a bull or an ox does when it gets nervous? It pees and poops all over everything. A horse will do the same thing. They get nervous, they get shook up, and all they do is just mess all over the place. You know what happens when you get down in a ditch with that thing? You get messy just like it does. You smell like an ox. You look like an ox. You, you, you are an ox, friend. You're just down there right up there against it all. 
What are you saying? I'm saying it's in a ditch and so are you. You know what you got to do? Get rid of the ox. Now go with me quickly to Exodus 21 and verse number 32. Now I want you to notice there's something that, that, that was given in the law concerning an ox. Start in verse 28 with me, if you will. The Bible says here, if an ox gore a man or a woman, that they die. Then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten. What was it, Brother Marvin, that, that Elisha done with that ox? Elisha took that ox... He burnt the plow and the instruments that was used to plow the ground to help bull the ox. Then he offered the ox to them to eat. Why? He got rid of the ox before the ox got to the point where the ox couldn't be used. You might ought to get rid of the ox today before, while the ox is still usable. You need to get rid of the ox and get rid of the plow and get rid of all those things before it gets to a point that you can't be used or it can't be used. Notice this. The Bible says here, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. Now we're talking about a dangerous ox. In other words, if there's been a warning that there's an ox out there, and that ox is dangerous, and you keep playing with the ox, and you hang on to the ox, and you won't get rid of the ox, the ox could kill somebody. See, what you can handle today, friend, may, somebody else may not be able to handle it. You messing around with that ox, you might, you might, it might not let it go or you and kill you, but it don't make it safe for those to be around you and to be around the ox. So the Bible says, but if the ox were want to push with his horn, in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, and his owner shall be put to death. Why the owner? The owner didn't do it. The owner was negligent. The owner of the ox was negligent to do something with that ox before that ox killed somebody. It had been warned. Listen, there's some folk in here tonight, uh, this morning that's got some oxes in your life that keep getting in the ditch. They keep putting you down in the ditch too. Those oxen are dangerous to your spiritual health. And you won't get rid of them. And it's been warned and warned and warned and warned and warned. And you won't get rid of them. And they keep putting you in a ditch. What's going to happen is it's going to cost somebody their spiritual life. And when it does today, friend, you're going to be held accountable for it. The Bible says, if there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whosoever is laid upon him. It's going to cost you something. Whether you have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment shall it be done unto him. In other words, if, if, if the person that lost that loved one is willing to spare you your life, you'll have to pay them restitution, whatever they say it's worth. No matter how you figure it, friend, it's going to cost you if you allow your ox to hurt you or somebody else. Said here, whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment shall it be done unto him. If the ox shall push a manservant, or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. In other words, if the ox 
goes up to a man's maidservant or manservant. And that ox is ornery. That ox will bow his head and he'll, he'll curl his ears, he'll turn his neck and he'll push. He'll just get up and push on you. I've had, we had an old bull one time. He'd curl his head and he'd paw the ground and he'd just he'd push on you. And he's just letting you know any minute he's fixing to squash your guts out. And he would too. What are you saying? I'm saying that ox is warning you. You feel that ox push on you. You know that ox is dangerous. You know that ox is not in your best interest or anyone else's, but you won't do anything about it. The Bible says here, if the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And if a man shall open a pit, or if a man shall dig a pit, not cover it, and ox or an ass fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good and give money unto the owner of them, and the dead beast shall be his. And if one man's ox hurt others that he die, and they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it, and the dead ox also shall divide. Now listen to this verse, or if it be known. Listen now. If it be known that the ox hath used to push in time past, and his owner hath not kept him in. He shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead shall be his own. If the ox is pushing, and you knew that the ox was pushing, and you couldn't keep him in. Listen, there's some of you today that's got some oxen that are pushing on you, and you can't keep him in. You don't have the control or the ability to keep the ox at bay then that ox is going to cost you something if you don't get rid of the ox. What are you saying today, friend? I'm saying there's some folk in this church this morning that's got oxes in their lives, that's got plows, that's got yokes, that's got reins that you need to cut ties. You need to burn the oxen. You need to offer the oxen a sacrifice before the oxen gets to the point where it cannot be used. But if you hang on to it, if you take something that's pushing on you, that's bumping up against you, that's warning you, and you fail to do anything with it, the day will come when that ox will squish your guts out. You know, an ox, interestingly enough, Brother Shane, is like five times bigger than you, six times bigger than you. I'd say ox, probably more than that. He probably pushed 2,500 pounds, so I'd say far more than that. What am I saying? You can't do anything with an ox that doesn't want to be yielded. There's things in your life today, friend, that's going to turn you if you don't get rid of it. You can't play with it. You can't mess with it. I wouldn't keep a bull, Brother Shane, that I couldn't trust around my family. I wouldn't keep a cow I couldn't trust around my family. You know what you need to do this morning? You need to cut ties with the ox. There's some oxen that's keeping you down in the ditch that's keeping you from getting to the dinner table. And the dinners are being provided... There's provision being made. There's people that's sacrificing and working hard that these meals be available. But you've had the attitude, excuses, excuses, excuses. And the, the problem is the excuses are going to run out one day when the ox squishes your guts out. Or when the ox squishes somebody you love's guts out. I tell you what would be worse than me hanging on to an ox that put me in danger. That thing might kill me. But what would you do knowing that that ox was that dangerous and find out that your little kid got down there in the barn lot one day and that ox squished his guts out? What are you going to do with a dead kid with guts everywhere? So that's gruesome and gory. It ought to be. Because that's what's going to happen to you in your life spiritually if you don't cut ties with the ox.
Let's all stand to our feet. Sister, if you'll